0: This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at GYCWeb.org. Dear
1: Gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly come before your throne, Lord, and we petition your spirit to be here with us in this room we ask for an extra legion of angels to camp round about this room, around this small group of your believers that uh, our minds will be protected. And Lord, open our hearts to the truths and the, the love that you, you have for each one of us. And may we each learn to be an effective witness for you. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen. So, welcome to the first presentation uh, in this series entitled Battlefield Hollywood. Um, Actually, in your program, I think it's called By Beholding. Uh, By beholding, we become changed. By beholding Christ, we become changed into the character of Christ, amen? Amen. And so it's, uh, it's vital that, um, that we look at some of these things in the light of uh, these end times to see how the enemy of souls is working day in and day out, nonstop, 24 seven to uh, deceive mankind. We have this text here uh, and have no, Fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. And when we first started doing these presentations, we were like, oh yeah, we gotta, you know, expose the the darkness of Hollywood and what's going on there. But as we've traveled around and given these presentations, we've learned some things. And to see a counterfeit, what do we need to know? We need to see we need to know what the real is. And it's, rather than just exposing the darkness, it's exposing the counterfeit against the light, right? Man, did I not turn my phone off? If you have a cell phone, if you put it on silent there, or vibrate. Uh, like, yeah, lead by example, exactly. All right. <clears throat> Uh, Before we really get underway here, I don't know if this is going to work here, I might have to stand back here. There's a promise that's given to us in Deuteronomy 20, uh, verses 3 and 4. And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye draw nigh this day unto battle against your enemies." Let not your heart faint, fear not, nor tremble, neither be affrighted at them. For Jehovah your God is He that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Keep this text in your mind as we go through these presentations and remember that it's God who's fighting this battle in us. Amen? We're not called to, to... stand against Satan and his hosts uh, on on our own power, right? So why are you guys here? Why did you come to GYC? Yeah. To learn more about God, to draw closer to him... Very good answer. Fellowship with like-minded believers. Now in the light of uh, light of the theme this year, what are we all here to learn to do? To put our hands on what? On the plow. On the gospel plow. So we're here to learn to put our hands on the gospel plow. What are you plowing? The earth. And what does that represent spiritually? The souls of men, the hearts of men, right? That's what we're plowing. In Jeremiah 4 3, it says, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among the thorns. There's this beautiful quote in uh, Christ's Object Lessons The sowers of the seed have a work to do in preparing the hearts to receive the gospel. In the ministry of the word, there is too much sermonizing and too little of real heart-to-heart work. There is a need of personal labor for, souls, for the souls of the lost. In Christ-like sympathy, we should come close to men individually and seek to awaken their interest in the great things of eternal life. Their hearts may be as hard as the beaten highway, and apparently it may be use, a useless effort to present the Savior to them. But while logic may fail to move and argument be powerless to convince, the love of Christ, revealed in personal ministry, may soften the stony heart, so that the seeds of truth can take root. Right? Are we not prepared? We're, we're, we're so. So then, what is the plowing? of the minds of men represent? Building a what? A friendship, a relationship, right? That's what the farmer's doing. He's building a relationship with the dirt. He's getting to know it. He's having to, you know, he's cutting these straight lines. So there's, there's this, you know, being straight with people and, and having that Christ-like love for somebody is this thing that is preparing the mind so that the seed may grow, right, because ultimately that's what we're all called to do, right, is to cast seed. This tree here, let's say this tree represents uh, my personal belief in the Sabbath, and working in television, I worked in television for a good uh, eight years, and uh, I grew up in the church, left, went into the world, and let me tell you, the Sabbath is a gift. And I realized that when uh, uh, I worked on a season of The Amazing Race, and I went around this planet in 30 days, and I worked every day. Every day. Like Sometimes I'd go to a hotel room, I would get there. At midnight, I'd wake up at 4 a.m. and leave. I wouldn't even take my clothes off. That's the only time I spent in that on to the next spot. We were in each city for just a couple of days. Talk about culture shock. When I got back from that, I was just like, oh man, what happened? <laughs> a Sabbath is a gift. Now, in sharing that truth with people, um, here's an example in my life personally. My, uh, my in-laws are Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of the first spiritual conversations we had was about the Sabbath. I brought this subject up and it was as if I went over to this tree and I snapped a branch off and I hit him over the head with it. And I said, you see this branch? It came from that tree. Now is that an effective way to share (laughs) the Sabbath truth with somebody, right? What do you got to start with? To grow... Something. Like a tree. You've got to start with what? A seed. And so what seed? There's a science to the gospel. When do we plant the seed? What seed to plant first? What season to plant it in? Right? The Bible, the, the book of nature is, is giving us a picture of the nature of the book. It's this multifaceted bag of seeds. Right? Right? That's all this is. Seeds of truth. And where do you start? I mean, we, we have the, the master himself, right? Is, is our, as our example. He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, Matthew 13, 37. So Christ is our example. Is... Uh, as this seed sower, because we're all called to sow the seed. No matter how old we are, what our occupation is, we're all called to sow the seed that is in this truth. Amen? And that's what we're here to learn, because ultimately, what do we want to do? We want to grow something, right? The seeds grow into, into things. What, what does the plants represent that are growing? Faith? What are we growing? What do we, you know, here's just seeds planted in the minds of men. A character. a character. We are growing a character. Another beautiful quote from Christ's Object Lessons, page thirty-eight. Every seed brings forth fruit after its kind. Sow the seed under the right conditions, and it will develop its own life in the plant. Receive into the soul by faith the incorruptible seed of the word, and it will bring forth a character and a life after the similitude of the character and life of God. Wow. What a promise. What a promise. So we are growing characters because ultimately we want to bear what? Fruit. And what's the fruit represent? The Spirit's work in our life. You shall know them by their fruits. And, but what's the, fruit, what's the fruit for? What are we called to be? Here's the answer here in Genesis 12.1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. And try to look up all these scriptures that we, that we uh, have because it's important that we read these things for ourselves as you'll see uh, the importance of reading and how it affects our minds. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you your name great and you shall be a what a blessing i will bless those that bless you and curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed we are called to be a blessing that's what the fruit is you know the best way to share a seed with somebody is to share a piece of fruit with them and they eat it and they go wow this tastes really good this is amazing And then you go, yeah, well, let me tell you about where the seed of that blessing came from. And in that fruit is the seed, right? And this beautiful garden of truth that grows within man's hearts will bring forth this character that's after the similitude of God. So why am I here? I'm not a pastor. I'm not a trained speaker. I'm just a guy who grew up in the church, fourth-generation Adventist, and left. But then, Brandon shared a video with us. He sent us a couple of Walter Weith videos from his Total Onslaught series, and, whoa! What am I doing? I'm totally dead asleep here. And, um, praise God that, uh, God worked in Brandon's life uh, to work in the lives of my brother and I, because we were completely lost and going down the wrong road. Because there's an enemy out there, right? And he's sowing seed as well. But he doesn't do it in the way that God has is teaching each of us to do it. He's artificially implanting his seed. And in these last days, he has a mechanism that is so powerful. Uh, we need to understand the uh, the devices that the enemy is using against us. Matthew twenty four twenty four. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. And shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. You know, we don't think it's all that amazing anymore because we just grew up with it, television, movies. But if you took somebody from just 100, 150 years ago and brought them into the future now and took them into a theater and showed them Avatar, they'd be going nuts, right? What is this? Revelation 18.23 tells us that the merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And we know that this word sorcery comes from the Greek root word pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy. So basically, sorcery, the sorcery that is deceiving mankind here in the end time, is anything that medicates our minds... So that we cannot follow the will of God. Right? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So anything that leads us away from following the will of God could be considered sorcery. Not just, you know, we're not just talking about movies about sorcery, we're talking about this as a whole. Let's look at the brain just for a moment here. Um, the front third of our brain is called the prefrontal cortex or the frontal lobe, right? It's our command center. It's this place in our minds that is the seat of our spirituality, our morality, and our will. It's, what we, it's where we decide right and wrong. This is the f- first thing that uh, the devil is trying to hinder in us. If you look at just the medication of alcohol the first part of the brain that it affects is your frontal lobe. The more alcohol you consume, the more the frontal lobe basically goes to sleep. And you finally will get to a point where you're operating totally on your subconscious. You're not even there, you don't even remember it. So it's vitally important to understand anything that would medicate this part of our mind and hinder it from doing the work of choosing between right and wrong. And we see this uh, primarily uh, in the development of the brain in children is, is, a, is a fascinating area to study these effects because um, the, the frontal lobe is developing up until what age? Does anybody know? Your frontal lobe is the last part of your brain to develop and it's continuing to develop until 20. About 20 years old, 20 to 25 years old. So your brain is still developing all the way up until the age of 20. This quote here from uh, uh, an uh, an article called Weapons of Mass Induction, uh, which was taken from a book by Dr. Eric Sigmund um, entitled Remotely Controlled. When children watch television, the frontal lobe is not doing anything with the result that over a period of time, this part of the brain does not develop properly. A study in the World Federation of uh, Neurology outlined concerns about the impact of visual electronic media, including television. Children, because of stunted frontal lobe development, which also impacts on their ability to control antisocial behavior, right? To choose between right and wrong. Playing and interacting with others is recommended to encourage the fibers of the frontal lobe to develop and to thicken and to make that, make stronger connections to neurons. The more you use your frontal lobe, the way that those those axons are strengthened, it's called myelination. There's a my, my, myelinating process. It's a, a fatty protein that covers the... the uh, neuron and makes the electric pulse that goes through the neuron faster and stronger. And by, the, by age 10 years old, there's an enzyme that's released in your brain that dissolves all poorly myelinated connections. When you're, when you're born, you have billions of neurons in your brain, and you can make trillions of connections. That's why a child can learn 10 languages simultaneously because they have the capacity to do so. And whatever's not used by the age 10 is dissolved, and, and, and if you don't use it, you lose it. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul tells us that, Know ye not that you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells within you? and It's in the very fibers of our mind that God is communicating to us. So it's very important to uh, understand the development of the mind and to uh, protect and guard well the avenues to the soul. Millions of Americans are so hooked on television that they fit the criteria for substance abuse as defined in the official psychiatric manual according to Rutgers University psychologist and TV Free America board member Robert Kuby. Heavy TV viewers exhibit six dependency symptoms, two more than necessary to arrive at a clinical diagnosis of substance abuse. These include using television as a sedative, uh, indiscriminate viewing, feeling loss of control while viewing, feeling angry with oneself for watching too much, inability to stop watching, and feeling miserable when kept from watching. Medicating the mind. So, the question really is then, what is happening in your brain when you watch TV? What's actually happening? The first thing that's happening <clears throat> is you go into a semi-hypnotic state. Alpha brainwave patterns are exhibited the same that are exhibited when you are in a hypnotic state. Uh, the other thing that's taking place, there's quite a bit that's taking place actually, um, we got this left and right brain situation, okay? You got your left brain, which is your analytical, critical, logical side of your brain. Your right side of your brain is the emotional, artistic, dreamy side of the brain. And within 30 seconds, sometimes it takes a couple minutes for, for those of us who have a little bit stronger of a will, but most people, it's only about 30 seconds. We go from all brain thinking to predominantly right brain thinking the left side of our brain shuts down, and we're only thinking with the right hemisphere. So let's look at some of the differences here between the left and the right brain. The left hemisphere dominates when a child reads, writes, and speaks. It specializes in analytical and sequential thinking and step-by-step logical reasoning. It analyzes the sound and meaning of language. Uh, It manages fine muscle skills and is concerned with order, Routine and details, the ability to comprehend science, religion, and math, especially geometry and philosophy, relies on abstract thinking characteristic of the left hemisphere. Okay? Even though we emphasize which functions of learning are performed by which hemisphere, there is a crucial connection between the two hemispheres called the corpus callosum. It consists of a large bundle of nerve pathways that form a bridge between the left and right hemispheres. It is one of the brain's latest maturing parts. The left and right sides of the body learn to coordinate with one another through this pathway. Gross motor activities like jumping rope, climbing, uh, circle games, and fine motor skills like drawing, knitting, pottery, origami, woodworking, embroidery, and bread making are crucial to myelinating this pathway and lead to more flexible manipulation of ideas and creative imagination. Uh, This pathway provides the interplay between the analytical and intuitive thinking, and several uh, neuropsychologists believe that poor development of this pathway affects the right and left hemispheres, effective communication with each other, and may be a cause of attention and learning difficulties. So right there, we have this problem with attention deficit disorder in this country. Here's the reason why. Because that pathway that connects our two hemispheres is not being myelinated properly because when you sit down and watch television, the only side of your brain that's working is the right side. You're not really interacting with with anybody, right? What's happening when you sit down and watch television, there's a multi uh, dimensional Sensory deprivation Situation happening You're only looking at three colors First off It's a combination of three colors So you're not seeing the whole spectrum of colors That are out there You're not being touched right? You're not, you're not talking back with the television You're passively just watching it And they've done studies where children Who, who uh, Aren't touched Aren't spoken to, aren't played with their brains are... The mass of their brains is decreased by 20 to 30%. They're actually a loss of brain matter because those pathways did not develop. Because you need real interaction with people for your brain to develop properly. So this is kind of throwing a monkey wrench in in the the developmental process of the brain. By age four, both core, uh, which is your action... Part of your brain and the limbic, which is the feeling part of your brain, are 80% myelinated. After six and seven, the brain's attention shifts to the neocortex, which is your thought brain. uh, With myelinating beginning first on the right side, uh, the right hemisphere, and then later joined by the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is more the more intuitive side of the brain, and it is it particularly responds to visual images. It grasps holes, shapes, patterns and focuses on the big picture rather than the details. It directs drawing and painting. It monitors melodies and harmonies of music. Uh, it, is speci- it is especially res- responsive to, the no- to novelty and color, and it is the dominant hemisphere when watching television. So that's why you, know, you can still cry. You can, all your emotions are still there, because this is the emotional side of your brain that's, that's being uh, played with. But we're not analytically, critically analyzing the information coming into us through our senses so you know as you're sitting there listening to me you're going hmm I don't know if I agree with that or maybe I agree with that yeah you're using your whole brain but when you sit down and you watch television and you just kind of zone out the information's coming into your mind in just a big chunk in holes just patterns you're just seeing the big picture that's why when we when we watch a movie or whatever, you walk out of the, out of that experience, and you look back and you go, hmm, yeah, I kind of remember the plot, but you don't remember any of the details. You can't remember what the characters' names were, like all the little details you you forget because your mind isn't concerned with those little details. Um, this reference is from a. Uh, A woman by the name uh, Dr. Susan Johnson and this whole article is posted on our website right it's a fascinating article if you go to our website uh, littlelightministries.org and and read that on there it's it's really fascinating Um, she works with children um, and she wrote this article uh, called strangers in our home tv in our children's minds and um, I actually called this lady I wanted to interview her for The documentary that we're forming out of all this material that we found and one of the first things she said to me was the biggest problem she sees in young people who are exposed to a lot of media is their inability to imagine we're losing the ability to use our imagination and what a loss right we should we should Spend an hour a day contemplating what? The life of Christ. Letting the imagination grasp each scene. See, because this thing is imagination for us. It's all amazing and this and that, and we're losing the ability to actually imagine and form pictures within our minds. Um, This first clip is an interview with uh, uh, Roger Morneau. guys know who Roger Morneau is? A trip into the supernatural. And it's interesting to see uh, this guy's given us a picture into uh, Satan and his evil horde and what they've planned and how they've planned this out. So notice these three things that he brings out here.
2: At the beginning of the 1700s, said the high priest, Satan and uh, all his spirit counselors held a great general council with one purpose in mind. It was to prepare for the great industrial age that was soon to break upon the world. And uh, Lucifer also foresaw another age that was to follow that where tremendous scientific discoveries would be made by people and we would enter a, a unique age that would change the way that everybody lives it would also serve to usher in the end times and the close of the great controversy between the forces of good and evil. And the priest said that, that Lucifer had been studying the Bible and he found in the in Daniel 12, 4 where we are told about the time of the end, many shall run to and full, knowledge shall be increased. Mm-hmm. He understood it to be that we're getting to that point. And he had, with all his spirit counselors, to, Change their modes of operation in order to ensnare people, mm-hmm. and uh, devised a way whereby people would disqualify themselves from being members of Christ's kingdom. And he was just very candid about this. Oh yeah, telling mm-hmm. you and no. the rest of the group, sixty or seventy people there, yeah. the plans that mm-hmm. the first hundred people, Lucifer he, had revealed to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time the council came to a close they had three major policies that were going to be followed. First, they were to see to it that humans would be made to believe that Satan and his angels do not really exist. Now, the next thing, that the, the three parts policy that they had adopted there, the second one was to find a way of being able to get total control of people's minds and that would be done by taking hypnotism out of the realm of the occult and introduce it as a new science for the benefit of mankind now the time came when uh, lucifer decided that he had to choose a person to initiate this thing and uh, franz mesmer which was an austrian physician was chosen because and the priest told you all of this yeah, okay. because he was most capable mm. uh, <clears throat> mesmer originated a theory called animal magnetism later on later on named mesmerism mesmer was led by the spirits to believe and this is what a priest said was led by the spirits to believe that certain persons have a magnetic influence within themselves so to speak that would cause them to have great power over, over other persons even to the point of placing them into a trance the third point was what was to destroy the bible without burning it okay see
1: and what was the strategy on that
2: on that um, it was very interesting because after the great general council it was decided that satan would tutor Charles Darwin personally, in setting up the uh, uh, the principles of his theories of evolution, he mm. was tutored by Lucifer himself, fallen Lucifer. Mm. And at that time, it was understood, Satan and his uh, spirit counselors understood that if a person was led to believe in the theory of evolution, it would, in his life, destroy completely the the, the uh, creation week of the Bible. The Fall of Man and plan of Redemption. And he said that every teacher of that theory is recognized by the spirits as a person of great value and receives a very special unction from Satan himself, giving great power to induce spiritual blindness, to convince and convert. Three capacities are given to those teachers of theory. Then, that's not all. The priest says that Satan considers the teachers of the theory of evolution to be so valuable to him that in the sight of all the inhabitants of the galaxies, he assigns a retinue of bright, beautiful angels to follow that that, uh, educator all the remainder of his life. And that in the sight of the inhabitants of the galaxies is the greatest honor that he can bestow upon his workers, among mankind
1: amazing huh I mean the theory of evolution is taking the world by storm every nature show you see every scientific discovery this and that it's always thrown in there right I mean it's even infiltrated into our very schools there was a marked change in my thinking by going to La Sierra and I was taught evolution as biology 101 not as not from a standpoint of this is what they think or theistic evolution but straight evolution as the truth as scientific truth and it did exactly what he said it destroyed within me the belief in the six seven day creation and the plan of redemption the fall of man So it wasn't just my involvement. I mean, I was addicted to movies. All through my, my, my uh, adolescence and into college, for- I couldn't go a weekend without seeing a movie. Or two, or three. My favorite thing to do on Sunday would be to get all three uh, episodes of Star Wars and watch them back to back. So... Um, my exposure to these things and, 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 and definitely the theory of evolution for sure. What was the second thing there that he talked about? Hypnotism. Hypnotism would be brought out of the realm of the occult and into science as a benefit to mankind. Does hypnotism work? I mean, there's people who are undergoing open-heart surgery, no medication, just hypnotism. Painless childbirth. Stop smoking. Lose weight. It's a good thing. I mean, you look on, you just type hypnotism into Google, and all this stuff will come up, and there's all these benefits that you can benefit from, from hypnotism. So let's just talk about hypnotism for a moment. It's interesting, the, uh, the term hypnosis comes from the name hypnos the ancient god of dreams. Um, Hypnos was the Greek and Roman god of sleep. And from his name is derived the term hypnosis. Hypnosis was the twin of Thanatos, the personification of death. Both Hypnos and Thanatos lived in the underworld. So death and sleep are twins right we believe that's what we pretty much believe when you're dead you're just sleeping right hypnosis is a heightened state of suggestibility such that the suggestions given are accepted as being true and affect the beliefs the habits the perceptions and behaviors of an individual in varying degrees according to the depth of hypnosis so you're basically saying i can't stop smoking So, will you strongly suggest to my mind why I shouldn't? And basically, you go into this semi-hypnotic trance and they uh, attach negative emotions, negative feelings to the act of smoking. So that when you pick up a cigarette, you feel all this negativity and you don't want that. Because nobody wants to feel bad. The reason people smoke is because they like the serotonin rush that you get, the feel-good feeling uh, from it. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul reminds us that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We shouldn't give our willpower over to somebody else, right? The only person we should give our willpower over to is, is to God. Here is a, how much time do we have here too, by the way? Are we, uh, what time are we ending? 10.15. Here's another thing that's taking place uh, in our minds. And um, this is fairly new science. It's, and it's, uh, it's pretty interesting.
3: Hello again, gaze into a mirror and what do you see? Well, I see my face, of course. But in my face, I see moods, I see shifts of feeling. We humans are really good at reading faces and bodies because if I can look at you and feel what you're feeling, I can learn from you, connect to you, I can love you. Empathy is one of our finer traits, and when it happens, it happens so easily, perhaps because, and this is brand new science, this is just out of the lab, we may have some special circuitry in our brains that helps us Whenever we look at each other, ask yourself, why do people get so involved, so deeply, deeply involved, with such anguish, such pain, such nail biting tension over football?
4: Cleveland Browns are gambling on defense. Ah!
3: Why are we such suckers for sports? And it's not just sports. We can lose it completely at the movies, at video games, watching a dance. Is there something about humans, humans particularly, that allows us to connect so deeply when we watch other people? Watch them moving, watch them playing, watch their faces, Well, as it happens, scientists have an explanation for this strange ability to connect. It's new. It had never been found on the cellular level before. A set of brain cells found on either side of the head. Among all the billions of long branching cells in our brain, these so-called mirror neurons have surprising
4: power. What we found is the mechanism that underlies something which is absolutely fundamental to the way that we see other people in the world.
3: And it began entirely by accident at a laboratory in the lovely old city of Parma, Italy, where a group of brain researchers was working with monkeys. And they were testing a neuron, that's a brain cell, that always fired, made this sound whenever the monkey would grab for a peanut. So the lab had all these peanuts around, and whenever the monkey made its move, the neuron would fire. Scientists thought, now here's a neuron that is essential to motion, it's a motor neuron. Then, one day, the monkey was just sitting around, not moving at all, just sitting, when a human scientist came into the lab. And when that scientist grasped the peanut, yeah, the monkey's cell fired. Now, the monkey hadn't moved. It was the human that had moved, suggesting that this neuron up here couldn't tell the difference between seeing something and doing something. Seeing and doing were the same. Or, more intriguingly, that for this neuron, watching somebody do something... It's just like doing it yourself. The head of the lab, Giacomo Rizzolatti, thought,
2: wow. The same neurons, one neuron fire both when the monkey observes something, and one
4: monkey is doing something. It's almost unbelievable. It was surprising because this cell which was involved with motor planning for the monkey turned out to be interested in the movements of other people as well.
3: Some people call them monkey-see, monkey-do neurons, but the name that's stuck is mirror neurons, because with them, the brain seems to mirror the movements it sees. This accidental discovery got scientists thinking, doing more tests, and it soon came pretty clear that this is not just a monkey thing. It's a people thing, too. We all know that humans learn by looking and copying. That's what infants do. First you look. Then you do. Ready? Let's see you this way. And once okay. you've watched and copied and learned a set of moves, you not only have them right in now. your head. Look, you put your
4: shoe on. Oh, yeah, she the it.
3: If you see somebody else doing it, you can share the experience. I want to do it with me. They know the moves, you know the moves, so you can move
4: with them. Wow. If you can use the years of training that you yourself have done, learning to crawl, then learning to walk, then learning to eat. This is an incredibly rich set of knowledge that you could apply to the problem of actually seeing what's going on. The mirror system is the way that you tap into, the way that you harness your own abilities and project them out into the world. And people are really good at watching
3: and translating what we see. Like with just 13 moving dots, that's all there are here, you'll have no trouble recognizing these uh, very ordinary activities. What's more, tests have shown when a person sees a movie like this of his own movement, he'll recognize it immediately as his own. And that's why sports fans tense with the action and wince and leap. Because if you know the game, then your neurons are firing as if it's you playing, giving a whole new meaning to the phrase armchair quarterback. That's why it's so easy to be a sports fan. But there is more, suggests UCLA professor Marco Iacoboni. He thinks mirror neurons tie us not just to other people's actions, but to other people's feelings.
2: So the idea was to try to figure out how the
3: emotional system and this motor system are connected together. In the scanner, what you're going to do is to work... To demonstrate, he put me into this very powerful fMRI brain scanner that can peer into the brain while it's working. And he gave me some goggles so he could show me pictures when I was in there.
2: So you can see here the eyeball of Robert.
3: And once he had a good view into my brain...
2: Nice looking brain. Thank you. Robert, you're not supposed to talk when we scan you, all right? Sorry.
3: Then he said, okay, I'm going to show you a bunch of faces. And for each face, I want you to imitate it. So I did that. Then he recorded my brain while I moved my facial muscles.
2: We're going to do right away another one.
3: Okay. Then he said, okay, same faces, but this time don't move a muscle. Just look. So I looked. When we checked the results, oh, there's my brain. I've never seen my brain before.
0: This is your
3: mirror. Yakaboni says that the part of my brain that's working when I make a face. The same part gets busy when I see the face. Plus, when I was looking at these faces, I remember feeling extra uncomfortable, kind of bad. But when these faces came on, I felt, I don't know, I felt better, almost happy. And in fact, at the moment I was looking at the happy face, my brain, and this is my brain in that instance see the red area here it shows activity in the happy emotional part of my brain and when I was imitating happy faces look again even a bigger response this says Giacoboni is a consistent result mirror neurons he believes can send messages to the limbic or emotional system in our brains so it's possible these neurons help us tune in to each other's feelings that's Empathy. We strongly believe that that's a unifying mechanism that allows people to actually connect at a very simple level. You're saying that there's a place in my brain which, whose job it is to live in other people's minds, live in other people's bodies. That's right.
0: Oh darling, I'm going to die. Don't let me die. Yeah.
3: And great actors instinctively know that if they put feeling and drama into their bodies
0: Hold me.
4: Tight. Don't let me go.
3: Their faces
4: their
3: We will respond.
4: Can't die. You're too brave to die. What actors are expert in is using their movements to inspire feelings in the people watching. These are the experts in the mirror system.
2: We
3: are intensely social creatures. We literally read other people's minds. I don't mean anything psychic like telepathy, but you can adopt another person's point of view. But what we do know, says Ramachandran, is that healthy human beings are intensely social. More than our cousins the monkeys, we invent ways to connect. We invent dances and handshakes and games to play. We eat together, we meet. And we talk. We talk a lot. Everybody's interested in this question. What makes humans unique? What makes us different from the great apes, for example? You can say humor, you are the laughing biped. Language, certainly. Okay? But another thing is culture. And a lot of culture comes from imitation. Watching your teachers do something. And while no one's claiming that mirror neurons are the key ingredient that makes us different from other creatures, what these neurons do suggest about us seems almost self-evident. You can see it any Sunday at a sports bar, that deep in our architecture, down in our cells, we are built to be together.
4: there would be very little point in having a mirror system if you lived on your own. there would be a lot of point in having a digestive system if you lived on your own. There'd be a good point in having a movement system if you lived on your own. There'd be a good point in having a visual system if you lived on your own. But there'd be no point in having a mirror system. The mirror system is the most basic social brain system. It's a brain system which there's no point in having if you don't want to interact or relate to other people. But we do like to interact,
3: and maybe now, as never before, we will understand
1: why. Isn't it interesting? This whole thing takes a, a, from the standpoint of evolution. And there's a whole evolutionary part that I clipped out. But isn't it interesting? Even though it's coming from an evolutionary standpoint, they still can't get away from the fact that they say, you know, it looks like our brains were built to be together. Right? And that's what God's done. He's built this. He, there's a community of people. That's, that's why we have this, this amazing ability to learn from each other. We mirror each other's feelings and thoughts and characters. By beholding, we become changed. And here, science is proving that. Here's a quote from uh, Edward Bernays on propaganda. The conscious and intellectual manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. Did you hear that? It's not the leaders. It's not our president and governors and, that are really molding society. It's an unseen mechanism manipulating uh, society and, and and governing it, right? He says we are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we've never heard of. This is the log- a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Has anybody heard of Edward Bernays? Nobody's ever heard of this guy. A few, one person. He's Sigmund Freud's nephew. And he was the first person to take his uncle's ideas of psychology and used them to manipulate the masses. He made propaganda films um, in the uh, 40s and uh, 30s and 40s and, and then moved into advertising. And because of the sake of time, I'm, I'm going I'm to skip over this clip. I'll just tell you about it.
4: Bernays set out to experiment with the...
1: He, he uh, got... Women to smoke in this country because there was a, a taboo against women smoking. Men had put a t- placed a taboo on women. It wasn't, wasn't proper for a woman to smoke in public. And uh, George Hill, the, the uh, president of the tobacco uh, corporations, came to him and said, Hey, man, how can we get... We're losing half our market. How can we get women to smoke? And so he used... Uh, uh, these techniques that he learned from his uncle and basically what he did was he had some women in a parade in a new york easter parade a group of uh suffragettes they were called high class women dressed in very nice clothing Um, he told them he had had them all carry cigarettes concealed under their clothing and at a given signal from them they were all to they were to pull out these cigarettes and light up dramatically and then he told the press hey, there's these women that are going to pull out these cigarettes and they're going to smoke in public as a protest and they're going to light up their torches of freedom. And as, as, a, as a protest for women's rights, equality-type situation. And the press took all these pictures, and the next day, the pictures just weren't in the New York papers. They were across the country and around the world. And from that point on, the sale of cigarettes to women started to climb. With one symbolic act, other women say, "Hey, man, I want to be equal with men." Totally irrational, right? A rational feeling. Hey, it's torches of freedom. Let's do this thing. But totally irrational. Does women make, or does smoking make women more equal to men? Or you know what I mean? Totally irrational, and that's what's happening. This guy created um, what's called public relations. How? Uh, was related to the public. This is another clip I'm going to skip over this as well. But he was also behind putting doctors out there to, to say that, you know, if, you say the do- if the doctors say it's good to smoke, then everybody's going to follow along. Same thing with the fluoridation of our water supply. Fluoride's good for you, right? It's not. It's not. It's the second most toxic substance known to man, next to mercury in your system. And he, he you know, they, they, they attach a doctor to it and says, hey, doctors, you know, the 60% of our water in this country is still fluorinated. And it's not a pharmaceutical-grade fluoride. It comes from the waste of the aluminum industry. And so instead of having to dump it in a toxic waste dump, they put it in tanker trucks and ship it all over the country and put it in the water supply and say it's good for your teeth. This is just a quick little clip from...
3: You can manipulate consumers into wanting and therefore buying your products.
1: It's a game. From the documentary uh, The Corporation. And advertisers know this. You can manipulate people. You can manipulate them into wanting and therefore buying your products. It's a game. It's a psychological game. The advertising industry hires the top psychologists uh, that we have. They're all about trying to attach a lifestyle to their products. That's what they're selling you. They're selling you a lifestyle. They're not just selling you a product. Um, Your emotional mind is saying, oh, man, yeah, I want to be, I want to have all the girls I wanna have I wanna look good I want you know it's a lifestyle that, that they're selling us Here's another they little part are of it.
3: tomorrow's adult consumers so start talking with them now build that relationship when they're younger and you've got them as an adult somebody asked me Lucy is that ethical you're essentially manipulating these children well yeah is it ethical I don't know but our, our role at Initiative is to move products. And if we know you move products with a certain creative execution placed in a certain type of media vehicle, then we've
1: done our job. OK. Build a relationship with them when they're younger. Is it really a relationship? No, not really. But that's what they view it as. And then you have them as an adult. <clears throat> there are many ways to talk about television, but in a business perspective, let's be realistic. Basically, TFI's job is to help Coca-Cola sell its product, for instance. To make, adver- to make the advertising message well-received, the audience's brains must be available. Our shows are here to make those brains available, to entertain it, to relax it, to prepare it between two messages – What we're selling to Coca-Cola is available human brain time." Patrick Lillet, the CEO of TFI, the main French television channel. Here are some facts. The average household has 2.7 persons. The number of televisions per household is 2.9. So we've got more televisions than people in this country. And that's just in our households. That's not the TV at the gas station, at the supermarket, the billboard. Okay. The average hours spent are more than four hours a day. If you add these up, you've got 33 hours a week, 14 hours a month. In a year, you've watched 2.4 solid months of television. The number of ads seen in that year, 25,000. The time spent watching in, ten, in a 10-year period, if you kept this average up, two solid years. A fifth of your time. And people talk about they don't have enough time. What are we spending our time doing? Are we wasting time? Are we killing time? The most advertised product on television. Anybody guess? Fast food. Fast food. What's the second most advertised thing on TV? Pharmaceuticals. And there you have it, the Food and Drug Administration, <laughs> right? They say, here's the food you can eat, this is, we say this is okay, and then when you get sick, here's a drug you can take to cover up the symptoms you're feeling. <laughs> and that's money, that's big money. There's no money in making people healthy, there's big money in making us sick. So, definitely, this, the uh, system is broken. And thank God we have a health message, right? That entering wedge that, again, the book of nature gives us a clear picture of the nature of the book. Um, <clears throat> here's a clip from a show called Mind Control. and This is an example of how easy it is to manipulate somebody's Opinion. This is called neurolinguistic programming, what 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 this guy's doing. And basically, uh, the, you, you read the subtitles across there and you'll notice that uh, he touches him at certain key points. Neurolinguistic programming is a way of speaking and using slight body language, gestures, and things to bring emphasis to things you're saying without the person consciously being aware of it.
5: Very nice to meet you and thank you for coming on the show. Let me explain to you how I buy gifts or presents for people, all right? And this is the best way to handle, bar none, the the, the problem of, you know, what to settle for when you're going to buy gifts for somebody that's a little bit difficult to buy for, all right? Now, what I do is rather than recycle the same sort of two tired bottles of wine or, or box of chocolates, which are no fun to receive, I go out and I buy anything and then I make that person fall in love with it all right by creating a strong feeling of desire for that object does that make sense yeah Yeah? and it absolutely works they get all sort of pumped up you know they get that feeling of that positivity you were describing they beam excitement for it um and you know it's a win-win thing because they get a present that they love and you know i get rid of some stuff out the back of my kitchen cupboard or whatever what i want you to really understand about this is that that feeling is so strong can be so extreme that it can replace the memory of what they actually wanted. So even though two days before they may have said, I want X, whatever that is, you know, like a really nice car, like a BM or an Xbox or something like that, something they really wanted, suddenly now they think they always wanted what I got them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. excellent, cool. Good, so, you can have anything you like. What's your dream present? The BMX bike.
1: All right. Now... When he asked this guy to come and be on the show, he told him, write down on a piece of paper and seal it in an envelope, bring it with you in your wallet, what you want, your dream present. And, he, and here he said, I want a BMX bike. And he goes, oh yeah? And he walks him over to a box, opens it up, and there's a the BMX bike. He says, what color do you want before he opens it? He's all red. And you notice in the background, there's everything's circular, and there's a lot of red in the room. And okay, All this plays in to strongly suggests to this person that what he really wants is a bike a bmx bike but what he wrote down he he asked him he goes so really what did you write down he's like i wrote down a bmx bike he's all no 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 you didn't that's pr- probably not the case so no i did that's i've always wanted that he's like we'll pull out the envelope he pulls it out he opens it up and it says leather jacket <laughs> and he's totally baffled and he's like wait no that's, no i want a bmx bike that's my handwriting And he's kind of really freaked out about it. So the question then is, could parts of our belief system be so strongly suggested to us that we forget what we originally believed? This is just, you know, an example of how powerful uh, hypnosis and and neuro-linguistic programming in, in these things are. They, the movies, have given Americans an acceptance of things I don't think they would have embraced, says executive producer Harvey Weinstein. Maybe they were tricked into it by some exciting marketing campaign, but when they came out, they came out different. They realized that they are molding and changing the way we think about life, our belief systems.
0: This message was produced by GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at Box. 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it, and keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.